Give her Bibles. If you have your Bibles. The gospel is a deal of a lifetime. The gospel is the only thing in the world that gives us our only comfort, body and soul, in life and in death. The gospel takes care of us. And the gospel takes care of us like no other thing in the world. No other ideology, no other religion, no other spouse, relationship, hobby. Nothing in the world takes care of us like the gospel. And therefore, nothing is worthy of our love and devotion than the gospel. But unfortunately, many things, many things take our eyes off the prize that is Jesus Christ. There are many trinkets, glorious trinkets in the world, shiny objects, not as glorious and as beautiful as the gospel. They nevertheless tantalize our hearts and tempt our minds to wander away from Jesus Christ. Wander away after temporal and fleeting pleasures where there is no hope. So we must be taken back by the gospel every Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day, we come to church. That's why we come to church, to be taken back by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's no greater text to set our minds aright back on Christ, centered on the gospel, than the text we have before us this morning. What is that text? I'm thinking of a book and a chapter of the Bible that assures us of God's love like no other. A book and chapter of the Bible that shows us God's unshakable love, even when we're very shaken as Christians, shaken by our own sins and miseries, God's love is never shaken for us. Even though we move away from God, wandering afresh each and every week, God never moves away from us. His love never moves. There's one chapter in one book of the Bible that assures us of God's love like no other, an unseparatable love. What book am I thinking? The book of the Bible this morning is Romans. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans and chapter, anyone? Chapter 8, yes. Verses 31 through 39. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. Romans 8. Remember, we're in 2 Samuel right now, but we're taking an excursus of 2 Samuel through chapter 8. Uh, Romans 8, our scripture reading, verses 31 through 39. Let's hear about this love, the deal of a lifetime, the love of God, God's everlasting love. Hear now God's word. What then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am sure that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal Father, who has spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past, but in these last days in your Son, the incarnate Word, we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant to proclaim that Word in the power of the Spirit. And we pray that this same Spirit will open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your holy gospel and write on their hearts your holy law, even as you have promised this, O Lord, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I am an abuser. I confessed my abuse last week, and I confess this morning that I take advantage. I have taken advantage. I take advantage of certain texts in Scripture, in the ministry. Texts like 1 John 4, we love because... He first loved us. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. I take advantage of Romans 8, 1. There is now no more condemnation. And finally, I take advantage often of Romans 8, 39. For nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it's easy to take advantage of these texts because they're so good. And it's easy for me to take advantage of Romans 8 in the ministry because it's just so good. It's like cheating the Christian ministry. I can turn to Romans 8 for any need in the church. You come to my council, I'm going to Romans 8. I'm cheating. It's just a wonderful chapter of the Bible. It's been called the tree of life. Romans 8's been called the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. In the garden of God's bountiful word, nothing nourishes and refreshes our life like Romans chapter 8. It's a comprehensive study on how to live and die in the comfort of the Lord. Romans 8 is all about the blessings, all about the blessings you have in Christ. And the blessings are our assurance. The blessings are our assurance. And assurance is the key to Christian living. You want to be a good Christian? Want to serve the Lord? You need, you need assurance. You need assurance of God's love. We love. I can't help myself. We love because he first loved us. You need the assurance of God's love, and it's the assurance of God's love that's going to cause you to love and serve and care for your neighbor. We're sanctified in, with, and through the love of God. Now, one thing you have to remember as a Christian, uh, love is a verb, and it's not an emotion. Emotions are adjectives. Emotions feel like I'm angry, or I feel sad. Emotions describe how I feel at a particular moment. Love is a verb. Love acts. God so loved the world, what did he do? He acted. God so loved the world, he gave. Love moves. It's secure. And love reflects. 
Love is built off reflection, rather. We reflect and then we love. We love because he first loved us. Reflection. And love gives itself to another like no other. I came into this world not to serve. Or excuse me, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom, says our Lord. God serves us. We are, in, we are on the receiving end of his grace. That's the title of my sermon this morning, God Serves Us. Romans 8 shows us how God serves us. Romans 8 actually begins with the service of the Lord. He serves us righteousness. Romans 8.1, there is now no more condemnation. No more condemnation because God has given you his son. He served you the gospel. He served you Christ. No more condemnation. Now and forever, no more condemnation because God served his only son, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the lightness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God crucified his only son. God crucified his son for our justification, that we can be right before God, no more condemnation. He crucified his son for our sanctification, that we can now live for the Lord. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You see, God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Son. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And because he's given us his Holy Spirit, we're now children of God and we have life with God forever. Verse 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, God has adopted you to be his child. He's given his son. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you adoption. And because he's adopted you as his own, you have this glorious future. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he has glorified. He's given us a bright future. So it turns out, dear Christian, we do not serve God. He serves us. You see, God doesn't need your good works. He's not in heaven thinking, oh, if only I, I'm lacking. If only, if only so-and-so would come along. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. And then God serves your neighbor through you. You see, that's the love of God. God not only justifies and delivers you from your sins and misery, he's given you a future. He's given you hope. He's given you purpose. You want purpose in your life? Purpose comes from the love of God. You want meaningless? You want meaning in this meaningless, meaninglessness life that is the veil of tears? Love of God. The love of God gives us salvation through and through. Justification, sanctification, purpose, hope, glory, comfort, body and soul, in life and in death. God serves us is the title of my sermon this morning. Let's jump right into our verse. Paul then, after saying all these things, verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? What things, Paul? Well, the ordo salutis things of verse 29 through 30. Verse 29, he says, Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. The Reformation called these two verbs, or 
these two verses, the golden chain of salvation. You've heard of that? The golden chain of salvation. And the first link in the golden chain of salvation is the doctrine of election. In the doctrine of election, we find the love of God. You see, salvation begins with predestination. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Before the foundation of the earth. And those whom he loved, he says that he called. Faith comes by hearing. And those whom he called, he's justified. No more condemnation. And those whom he's justified, glory. And nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul says, what do we say of these things? What can we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is obvious. Once you know the powerful, sovereign hand of the Lord, the the answer is obvious. What can be against us? Nothing can stand against us. But many things can stand in the way. Your sins stand in the way every day. But even in your sin, and think of the worst sin you've ever committed, even in that sin in Christ Jesus, God is for us. God is for you. Why? Well, the only answer is election. He has loved you eternally, and he always will. Now, God for us doesn't mean Christianity is easy. It doesn't make religion a prosperity game. It doesn't make Christianity, it doesn't mean Christianity is any longer dangerous religion. If you're keeping up with the culture war and America and our life in America, you'll see that Christianity is becoming even more and more dangerous and become reformed. And the danger is compounded. You see, the, reform, the Reformed Christians, the Reformed Christianity is the most persecuted Christianity in Christendom. We're the most persecuted Christian. Don't let the Anabaptists uh, fool you. We're the, most, we're the most persecuted Christians in Christendom. Think of our own Heidelberg Catechism. The introduction of the Heidelberg Catechism says this. It says that we would rather offer our backs to stripes, our tongues to knives, and our bodies to fire than deny one article of this faith. And Rome and the empire acquiesced. And they killed many of us. They even burned at the stake the very author of the Heidelberg Catechism. And around the same period, in one week, one week, dear Christian, 50,000 Huguenots, 50,000 French Reformed Christians, our people, slaughtered within a week. 50,000. Think of the number. And then thousands and thousands more were added and continue to be added put to death for their faith, burned at the stake, and God was for them. God was for them. It was their glory. Our ancient father, Chrysostom, Chrysostom said it best. Chrysostom wrote, those that be against us, so far are they from thwarting us at all that even without their will, they become to us the causes of crowns and the procurers of countless blessings, and that God's wisdom turneth their plots unto our salvation and glory. See how really no one is ever against us? 
You see, friends, God's love for us cannot be defeated. So we rejoice in sufferings, as Paul and Peter command us to do. Rejoice in suffering. And know that in that suffering, God is procuring our good. Oh, death, where is your victory? Turns out we don't serve God. The Lord serves us. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now the JSV reads here, the Jared Standard Version, it reads, he who did not even spare his own son. There needs to be an even there because there's an even in the text. And the Greek emphasizes this greater thing that God is good. He's even given you, he's even given you his son. How will he not also give you everything else? All these lesser things. If he's indeed given you his son for your justification, for your sanctification, for body and soul, his son, the greatest thing he can give. And he's given you the greater. How will he not also give you all these other little things? Do not fret, dear Christian. He will give you all you need for body and soul. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave his son that he might give you all that you need for body and soul and life. That's his love. His love is immense. He's given you his son. He'll graciously give you all that you need. Do not fret. Do not fear. God serves us as Christianity. It's called the gospel, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I came not to be served, said our Savior, but to serve. It turns out we don't serve God. He serves us. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The Reformation called the doctrine of justification the article on which the church stands or falls. Martin Luther said, get the gospel of justification right, and you get the church right. Get the doctrine of justification, Martin Luther said, and you get a church. Get the doctrine of justification, you get a church. Mess up the doctrine of justification and you lose the church. Now, why is the doctrine of justification so important for the life of the church? It's because in the doctrine of justification, you see how much God loves you. In the doctrine of justification, you get to see how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he condemned his son in your place. You don't get a greater love than that. He put to death his son. That's how much he loved you, to wipe away all your sins. To make you right, Christ lived a perfect life, suffered and died so that you can be justified. That's the love of God, is it not? So you get the doctrine of justification right so that you get the doctrine of God's love right. And the church stands on the love of God. Now, to bring a charge, when Paul says, who shall bring a charge, that locates the doctrine of justification at the very end. At the very end, you know, it says a man's appointed to live and after this death. At the very end, when you stand before the judgment seat of God, God will look at you, Christian, and say, justified. No more condemnation. Why? Because he already said it when you first believed. When you first believe, no more condemnation. So no one can bring a charge against you. Your own sins can't uh, accuse you. And they would be a very good accusation. 
I mean, if the devil wanted to accuse you, if he wanted to stand as prosecutor and take you to the grave, he has so much he can bear against you. And you would stand easily condemned a million times over. But it won't be heard. The accusations won't be heard because Christ died. And his blood is washed away and his blood is louder than all your sins. There'll be no corroborating evidence not even your own, because God served us his son. God has done the greatest thing. There is no more condemnation. He gave. He serves. God the Father is for us who sacrificed his only son. The son is for us who gave his life freely. We bear our sins no more. We are the righteousness of God. Now, unfortunately, many Christian traditions will say things like, well, yes, 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 but you got to prove your love. Or you got to do your part. God loves those who love themselves. Or no, God helps those who help themselves. God loves those who first loved him. God loves because we first loved him. That's kind of how it sounds in most churches today. When I listen to them on the radio, I'm like, whoa, you're getting that backward, friend. If you think you got to prove your love or you got to do your part, then God is not served by you. He is offended. He is offended because he gave his son. And how dare you say, well, I, I have my part. You have no part. We cannot deserve grace. I mean, Paul's already said that in verse 8. If you just look at verse 8, 8, 8, 8, chapter 8, 8. Those who are in the flesh, what can you do in the flesh? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In the flesh, you just displease God because you're a sinner through and through. To say we must give God our works for justification, that our good works are somehow a factor in salvation, cheapens the cross. Justification is found in Christ alone. That's the gospel. That's the Reformation stood on that truth. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Who can condemn you? No, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. He died. He was raised. He's at the right hand of God who is now interceding for us. It turns out we don't serve God. He serves us. He died. He was raised. He is at the right hand of God, leading the captives free. The key to Christian living, dear Christian, you want to be a good Christian, I know you do. The key to Christian service, we all want to be good Christians. We want to serve our neighbor and our God. But the key to Christian service is this. The key to Christian good works is this. You must first realize that you don't need good works. You don't need Christian service. You need to be served by Yahweh. You need to be served by God's grace, by his mercy, by his love. Then you will see that you get to do good works, that you want to do good works. We love because, I can't help it, I'm an addict, <laughs> we love because he first loved us. I can get so much with that verse. I was thinking about doing a 10-month 10 10 series on just that verse. Once you understand how much God loves you, then you realize you don't need to do good works. You get to. What a wonderful truth. Verse 35, he then launches into the suffering of the world. The world suffers us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
O death, where is your sting? Where is God when we sorrow? Where is God when the Christian suffers? When you lose your loved ones, when you hear about that interminable disease, where's God? He's right there loving you. He's right there. He's gone nowhere. Christian suffering and death is the truth of God's word. We see it right here in our text, verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, contrary to American religion, contrary to what you hear on the radio, God allows his saints to be undeservedly exposed to the cruelty of the ungodly. We are being put to death all the day long, it says. Yet even in the horrors of this present suffering age, the love of God compels, controls, and conquers. No. Yes, they're putting us to death. Yes, we're being persecuted. Yes, burned at the stake. Yes, knives, stripes, tongues split open, backs beaten, chains, bondage, death, imprisonment. But in all these things, we're more than conquerors. We're conquerors despite through him who loved us. And by this love, we are sure, verse 38, for I am sure. You, gotta, er, you should underline that verb, sure. I am sure. I have assurance. Assurance is key to the Christian life. Assurance is going to get you through those beatings and those imprisonments and the pain and the sorrow and the troubles of this life. I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We overcome the tragedies in this world not because we're strong, not because we are victorious, but we are conquerors and you got to underline through him. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's his love that makes us conquer. His love has conquered our hearts. His love has controlled and compels us to love and serve our God and love and serve our neighbors. And his love gets us through the sorrows of this age. I love that scene in Luke's gospel. You gotta love that scene in Luke's gospel. After Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and after he rose again from the dead, he goes and he meets his disciples, and he says, hey, guys, you got anything to eat? It's a great scene. Hey, guys, what you, could, what you catching over there? You got anything to eat? And then the disciples got to eat with God for the first time. Since the fall, they got to eat with with God without fear of the serpent because he conquered him. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I love that scene in Psalm 2 when the nations rage against Christ and his church and he laughs at their pitiful, meek, response to his kingdom. Death is swallowed up in victory. 
We don't have to fear the serpent any longer. Because it turns out we don't serve God. He has served us. And he continues to serve us by his grace. We love because he first loved us. No more condemnation. Faith comes by hearing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Ah, It feels so good, doesn't it? It feels so much better. I feel so much better. I've said it all. I feel better. I hope you do too. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.